Let's look in in Matthew chapter 3, and we will start in verse 13 today. And here's what the Scripture has to say. Matthew 3, 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? And Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized. After Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens opened opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And there came a voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son. I take delight in him. Let's pray over these verses this morning. God, we praise you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for our Savior, our Lord. And I pray today, Lord, that you would, you would teach us about what our ministries look like because, because Jesus' ministry was marked this way. Teach us, Lord, about this, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I was reading about another pastor's ministry at one, one point in time, and he was talking about a particular baptism that he had done. And there was a woman who came forward and she wanted to be baptized. So he spent the time talking with her and sharing the scriptures. And she had come to know Christ, but she just wanted to make the world know that she had come to know Christ. So she was ready to be baptized. And so they had a creek out back. So he went out back to, to baptize her in the creek. And he did. And, and um, after the baptism... You know, they all rejoiced and, and all that. But there was one person who came forward who shared a concern. He, says, he was concerned about this baptism. And he says, what's, what's wrong with the baptism? He says, you didn't get her completely under. And he says, well, wh- what part did I, didn't get under? And he pointed to her belly. Well, this particular woman was eight months pregnant. And when she was <laughs> baptized, apparently he didn't get that particular part of her underwater. And so the guy, apparently without missing a beat, said, Oh, that's okay. We don't baptize babies here anyway. And so she is okay. And that apparently made that particular person, he was fine with that answer. And he went away, never grumping again. And so I guess it's all a matter of how you, you look at it. But uh, last week we had two baptisms. And we got them all the way under, by the way. Um, and, uh, and then I talked... I talked a little bit um, at that time about what baptism meant. Then we preached, uh, I preached on uh, John's baptism and uh, that, that, that strange character of John the Baptist out in the Jordan River baptizing people for the repentance of sin. And then today we're going to talk about the climax of John the Baptist's ministry. That is to say, the reason John the Baptist, I believe, is even mentioned in Scripture is this point in in time right here. We're introduced to the adult Jesus. We met him as a baby in the first two chapters, but now, again, 30 years have passed, and we're introduced to Jesus. And when we're introduced to him, he's being baptized, and he's being baptized all the way. That's that's what the word baptized means. It is a Greek word, baptizo, that means to immerse. It means to envelop. It means to plunge into. And, and uh, the, 
when, when they were translating the, the Greek into the English, they just transliterated the word. They didn't translate it. They just took the Greek word into the English. I mean, when a ship sank, it was baptizo. It went into the water. It was completely immersed. And so that's what uh, it is. And, and so this baptism of Jesus, the question a lot of times might be, why? Why? Why was he baptized? Well, it was to show the world what kind of ministry he was going to have. And we're going to talk about that today. So what can we learn from Jesus' baptism and learn about what kind of baptism he had and, and what does that mean for us? And so first of all, let's, let's look at this. And in verse 13, we can see that his ministry has purpose. Jesus' ministry has purpose. Verse 13, Then he came from Galilee to John at the Jordan, to be baptized by him. Now, these, this verse here shows intention. Jesus was living in Galilee. He was a carpenter by trade. He was working with his dad, presumably, unless his dad had passed away already. And he was, he was a carpenter and doing his work. And apparently, we don't have the story, but the Lord led him out of Galilee to go down to the Jordan, probably down by Jericho somewhere, to John who was baptizing. And, it, and Jesus arrived for the purpose of John to be baptized by him. He said, I, I need to go to John so I can be baptized by him. And the question as we're reading scripture or as we think of this passage should be, why would Jesus need to be baptized? Why would Jesus need to be baptized, especially by John? Remember, John's baptism was not the same as our baptism. It was for the repentance of sin. We, I gave some verses last week that showed some of the difference. Here, another one, there's a story in Acts 19 where, where Paul, is, is, uh, he left Corinth and he eventually went to Ephesus and he meets some of John's disciples and he begins to talk to them about that. In Acts 19, 3 through 5, he says, What baptism were you baptized with? He asked them. With John's baptism, they replied, and, and Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we need to understand that John's baptism and Jesus's, or the baptism we do today, they're two different types of baptism. John's baptism was to point out people's sin and to point them to Jesus. And, and our baptism is to show that we have died to sin and that Jesus Christ has taken our sin from us. Yes, there's repentance involved because once a person repents and turns to Christ, their sins are taken care of. But the baptism shows Jesus took care of that. But Jesus was sinless. Jesus had no need to repent. He had no need for baptism. So, so why? Why was he baptized? I want to just point out a couple things here about why he needed to be baptized. First, Jesus was baptized by John to show agreement with the truth. He was baptized by John to show agreement with the truth. Remember, um, when, when he was baptized, John was out there preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I showed last week in Matthew 4, 
when Jesus shows up on the scene after his temptation that we'll talk about next week, he shows up and he starts preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near, or it's coming close. And so he is, Jesus starts by being baptized by John to identify with John's message saying, yes, people need to repent because the kingdom of God is coming near. In fact, Jesus didn't say this, but he, he could have said, the kingdom of God is me. You know, that, that when you trust in me, that is God ruling in your heart. That's, that's how close it is. He, he, attended, he intended to be identified with the truth of John's message. And so being baptized by John is not acknowledgement that Jesus sinned because he didn't sin. But it, was, it shows that he knew John, he knew John's ministry, and he agreed with his message, and the preaching of Jesus was going to identify with that message as well. So he, first he was baptized to, to show agreement with the truth. He was also baptized to relate to those who need him. He was baptized to relate to those who need him. John's baptism was for those who repented and it was for those who would turn from their dead religion and become true worshipers of God. And Jesus was, was baptized as, with John to, to identify or to sympathize with those who needed to turn from their dead religion, to turn to true faith in God. Jesus was God in the flesh, and, and he took on an additional nature. So he was fully God and he was fully man. And he did so to relate to humans. It says so in Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. So God took on human form so that no one could say, you know, God just doesn't understand what it means to be tempted like I'm tempted. I mean, he was without sin, so how would he know? He's God. He's never has this human flesh that, that desires things it shouldn't and, and doesn't want to do things it should. And, and what Hebrew says is that Jesus took on a human nature and was tempted in all ways that we are, but he did so without sinning. So he understands temptation. And the point is, when he came to be baptized with, by John, when Jesus was baptized by John, he was showing that he identified with humanity's need to repent. He didn't need to, but he understand humans needed to. And that John's message was valid. He identified with the truth, and he related to those who needed him. And my point is, our ministries should have that same purpose. He came for his ministry to have a purpose, to relate the truth and to connect to those who need him. 
C.S. Lewis has said this, the glory of God and as our only means of glorifying him, the salvation of human souls is the real business of life. I'll say it again. The glory of God and as our only means to glorifying him, the salvation of human souls is the real business of life. What he's, he's saying that when it boils down to it, what, what life is about is glorifying God, and the main way we do that is bringing people to Christ. That's how God is glorified. And so our ministries need to have a purpose as well, like Jesus did, and it needs to be the same as Christ. It needs to be holding on to the truth, but yet relating to those who need him. And there's always been a tight tension between relevance to the lost and preaching the truth boldly. Because too many times one or the other happens. We preach the truth and do so in a way that never connects with anybody who needs him. Or we so relate to the lost that they miss out on any truth. And our ministries, whatever God has called us to, need to balance those two, just like Jesus did. Jesus identified with humans, and, but he continued to preach John's message, you need to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. God wants to rule in your life. But he related to them. So why was Jesus baptized? One of them was to show the world that John's message of repentance was the truth and to show he came for those who needed him. We also see that Jesus was baptized to show us that Jesus' ministry is righteous. His ministry is righteous. Verses 14 and 15. But John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? And Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John the Baptist, allowed him, Jesus, to be baptized. It's a strange thing. Jesus shows up and John's like, are you kidding me? Baptize me. I need your baptism. And Jesus says, no, there's other things at work here. There's other things that need to happen. And he says he wanted to point people to righteousness. And so we, we see that Jesus' ministry is righteousness through two things here. First, we see he is righteous by John's hesitancy to baptize Jesus. Now this is, follow me here. Um, Matthew is telling this story for a purpose. He just finished talking about the religious leaders The religious leaders came to John and said, we want to be baptized too. And John said, you brood of vipers, who said you could escape the coming wrath? You want to be baptized to show that you're all religious, but you've not repented. And he has a hesitancy to baptize the religious rulers. Then Jesus shows up and says, I want to be baptized. And John says, I need to be baptized by you instead. And there's a hesitancy to baptize Jesus. And Matthew is comparing these two responses of John's between the religious leaders who were supposed to be the epitome of righteousness, but were not. Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. They're like mausoleums, beautiful buildings full of dead people. That's what he calls the religious leaders. Or he says... And he compares that to Jesus, the Son of God, who has no need to be baptized, but instead 
needs to be baptized by him. So he's comparing these two. The Pharisees and Sadducees were not worthy of John's baptisms, and John's baptism was not worthy of Jesus. He's comparing these things. His hesitancy implies the sinlessness of Jesus and the sinfulness of the religious leaders. Not only the religious leaders, but of, but of, of John and, and everyone else. So his hesitancy shows that Jesus is righteous. His ministry is righteous, and John's doesn't do him justice. But we also see that Jesus' ministry is righteous through Jesus' response. He says, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, when Matthew uses the term fulfill throughout so far in this book, um, we've, we've been through chapter 1 and chapter 2 and part of chapter 3, and every time he has said fulfilled, he is talking about um, fulfilling prophecy. This was done, he says, to fulfill what the prophet said, and then he would, he would move on and, and tell what he was fulfilling. And so Matthew here, I believe, is saying that what Jesus is saying, this needs to be done to fulfill all righteousness. He's saying we need to fulfill what the scriptures say about, about the Messiah's righteousness. About, we're, we're fulfilling prophecy. He's not forcing anything to happen. He's just saying when we do this, all these prophecies are going to be fulfilled about the righteousness of the Messiah. Prophecies like Isaiah 11, 4 through 5. Here's talking about the Messiah. It says, He will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with discipline from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his waist. The Messiah is going to to display righteousness to the people. He, he talks maybe also of, of Isaiah 46, 11, sorry, Isaiah 46, 12 through 13. And I'm going to quote from the New American Standard Bible. It says, Listen to me, you stubborn-minded, who were far off from righteousness. And then he's, this is God saying, I, will, I, will, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay and I will grant salvation in Zion and my glory for Israel. He says, my righteousness is not going to be far off because the Messiah is coming. He, he's also maybe referring to Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage. It says, I will, he, he will see it out of his anguish and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. There's lots that were said in prophecies about the righteousness of the Messiah. And I think Jesus said his baptism is going to be used to fulfill all those prophecies showing how righteous the Messiah would be. And so he says fulfill there. We need to fulfill. It's talking about this idea of prophecy, I believe. And then also he says to fulfill all righteousness. Now in righteousness, when Matthew's talking about it, he is not talking so much about doing right things as much as being in right relationship with God due to our obedience. So there is some doing there, but it's mostly about being. 
See, the, the religious leaders, they were real good at doing what they called righteousness. They fulfilled the law to the T. They might have not, not done so with the right attitude, but they fulfilled the law. And then they added more to it to make sure that they would really fulfill the law and they would do all these things and then impose on those on other people. And Christ later is going to say, that is not righteousness. It's about being in right relationship with God. And so here, to fulfill righteousness shows that his ministry is going to begin being marked by being in obedience to God. Not so much him doing all these right things. He will do right things. But he does these right things because of his right standing with the Lord because he's obedient to him. The point is, Jesus' ministry is righteous. And ours should be as well. Should be in right standing with God. There's a story told of a, of a farmer who would go to the farmer's market to sell some items. And he'd bring a tub of, among other things that he'd bring, he'd bring a tub of cottage cheese. And he'd bring a tub of apple butter. And he'd bring a little ladle with both of those. And when someone would bring a smaller container, he would dump it into there, sell it to them, and they'd go on. And one day he came to the market and he realized he forgot one of the ladles of these, from these two tubs. And so he decided I needed to use the same, tub, the same ladle for each of the tubs. And before long, you couldn't tell which was which because of the cross-contamination, right? That's the way it is with sin. That's the way it is with unrighteousness. When we try to share the gospel... We try to do ministry, but we've been so immersed by the world that there's, there's no, you, a person looks and they can see no difference between the two, between our ministry and what the world looks like because we've been kind of cross-contaminated, so to speak, instead of living in right standing with God. Like Jesus, our ministries need to be righteous. I mean, his ministry, or our ministry is his ministry. He, is, he has given us his ministry, and we'll see that through Matthew, where he gives it to his apostles. He gives the authority to the apostles to go out and, and spread the gospel all over the world, and he finishes Matthew by giving that to us and saying, you need to go out. Everyone, everyone who believes in God is to go out and bring people into God's kingdom. And so if his ministry is our ministry, or our ministry is his ministry, it needs to be righteous as well. And when we go try to tell our neighbor that they need Christ, but yet we're denying him in our lives, and, you know, we're taking the cottage cheese and apple butter and kind of mixing it all up so no one, we, we don't do so with the power of the Spirit because we've been cross-contaminated, so to speak. We need to be like John and point people to Jesus as the only path to righteousness. And, and we need to also be like Jesus who, to live in the power of the Spirit so that we can, we can live in right standing with God. That starts with surrendering our lives to Him and being one of God's children. We become in right standing with Him through Christ. And then we live in obedience to Him. And let him guide our life. 
Matthew tells us, listen, the Messiah is coming, he says, and he's going to begin his ministry here with an act that's going to fulfill scriptures, showing us that the Messiah's relationship to God is in complete obedience. And that's what our ministry should look like as well, being obedient to God, that they have a purpose. We're going to relate the truth to those who really need him, and we're going to balance that, that out, and that we're going to do so righteously. We're going to live in accordance to God's word. But we also see that Jesus' ministry here also has power. Jesus' ministry has power. Look what it says in verse 16 and 17. After he was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And there came a voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son. I take delight in him. So first off, just kind of a rabbit trail, this is one of those clear pictures of the Trinity, first of all. Someone says, I don't know about the Trinity. You have God, the Son in the water, the Spirit of God descending upon him and a voice from heaven saying, this is my Son, which is the Father. So this is a clear picture of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all together acting as as separate persons, but all at once. You see what I'm saying? And so there's the, you know you might need to mark that and say here's a picture of the trinity but right there we have a clear picture but two things happen here two two significant signs show that John's ministry was not just some regular man's ministry that something was different something different was happening here and first we see that Jesus's ministry was empowered by the holy spirit Jesus's ministry was empowered by the Holy Spirit. That means something. That means he was just not doing it in his, in his human um, capacity. Yes, he was fully God, but he lay aside a lot of his, you know, laid aside his godhood so that he could be fully human. And so he needed the Holy Spirit. And the first sign happened right after the baptism. The Holy Spirit came down in a visible manner. And there's several things we need to note about the Holy Spirit coming down. First of all, Matthew says the Spirit came down like a dove would come down. Now, he says it come down, it, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. If you read John 3.22, it says he came down in the form of a dove. And whether it was like a dove or in the form of a dove, the point is there was a visible representation of the Holy Spirit coming down upon Jesus. And this showed others that his ministry was going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the point there. The, The second thing is that the second thing about the Holy Spirit coming down is that these signs were for others, not for Jesus. Jesus knew his, spirit, his, his ministry is going to be empowered by the Spirit. But others needed to see this. Others needed to see that he was, he, that, that even though Jesus took on the limitations of humanity and he got hungry and he got tired and he needed the Spirit to help him complete his ministry, even though he took on those limitations, others needed to see that it was the Spirit who was empowering Jesus, that the Holy Spirit came down upon him. And then the third thing that I want to point out about the Holy Spirit coming down was that Jesus lived in Old Testament times. I know we're reading the New Testament, but the New Testament, so to speak, the New Covenant 
was initiated in Jesus' blood, and that happened at the cross. And until Jesus died, it's kind of in Old Testament times. And in Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit came down upon one person. You read the Old Testament, and he empowered, you know, he'd come down upon one person, like uh, Solomon, I think, is, is one of them. And you read the judges, the Holy Spirit empowered one person at a time. And then Jesus died and wrote, uh, rose again, and then he hung around on earth for about 40 days, 50 days, something like that. And then um, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on all the believers, and once that happened, that means now when someone accepts Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. They receive all the Holy Spirit. And there's never a time they don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming down like a dove was a one-time event. We don't see that. When someone comes to know Christ, generally we don't see something like, the Holy, like a dove coming down. We don't see the Holy Spirit landing upon a person. It was done so that people would see that Jesus' ministry was empowered and that, that he was, his ministry was going to be different. So one aspect of Jesus' ministry having power is that it was empowered by the Holy Spirit. The second aspect was that his ministry was approved by the Father. His ministry was approved by the Father. It says, He heard a voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son, I take delight in Him. Or some versions, In Him I'm well pleased. Many people think this is a combination of two messianic psalms. Psalm 2, Psalm 2 7, that says, I declared the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my Son, today I have become your Father, saying that the Messiah is God's Son. And this is the Messiah they've been waiting for. They knew that Psalm 2 was a messianic psalm. And they knew that God said in Psalm 2 that I'm going to say, this is my son. And they just heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son. Every Hebrew ear would have heard Psalm 2 and would have known that must be the Messiah because that voice was from God and he's saying, this is my son. They should have known that. And then Isaiah 42, 1 says, This is my servant, I will strengthen him. This is my chosen one, I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. That passage about this is about the suffering servant. The Jewish people thought they were the suffering servant. They thought they were the ones that were going to, that those passages of the suffering servant but God says, no, Jesus is a suffering servant. When they heard, I am well pleased with him, I delight in him, every Hebrew ear would have heard Isaiah 42. They just saw the Spirit descend upon him. They heard, I delight in him, and it just says, I delight in him, I have put my Spirit on him. They would have said, he is the suffering servant. They were just shown and just heard that Jesus is not only the Messiah, he's the suffering servant who's going to take away the sins of the world. And God is saying this, I'm approving of his ministry. And so Jesus' ministry has power. He has power because the Spirit has empowered the ministry, the Father has approved the ministry, and now he's going to set out to change the world. And he does. Because he has all the resources of heaven behind him. J. Vernon McGee tells a story of, of a Rose Bowl parade. One year the Rose Bowl parade was going on and there was a... Uh, 
a beautiful float that kind of sputtered and stopped because it somehow ran out of gas. And I don't know how that happened, but the whole parade was stopped up because this one float ran out of gas and people had to run to find a, some sort of can of gas to fill it up. The ironic thing was that this was the Standard Oil Company's float <laughs> running out of gas. And so you just think about this. Here's this float that is stopped up. It's got the vast resources of Standard Oil Company, and it, it can't find a can of gas to keep going. And there's many times we need to remember that if our, our ministries are surrendered to Christ, the same Spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry empowers our ministry. Do you get that? If we are surrendered to Christ, we are followers of Christ, we are following God's direction, then the same Father that said, this is my Son, I am well pleased with Him, He's going to approve of our ministry as well. See, He came as a human to show us what living for God was like, and the same power that empowered Jesus empowers us. And we have the whole vast resources of heaven behind us if we are following God and engaging in our ministry in a way that God likes. But when we're doing it for selfish means or we're trying to do it in our own strength, we're going to be the float that sputters out trying to do God's work for him. We're doing it in our strength and not ever tapping into the resources that are available to us. Jesus said this about the same power in his ministry that's in ours. He said in John 14, 12, listen to this. I assure you, Jesus says, I am telling you this. I promise you this. Listen to me. The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. That should be enough. We can do the same thing Jesus did, he said, in ministry. The same power that Jesus has, we can do. And then he says this, and we'll do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. He says, when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit's going to empower you in ways that you're going to do greater works than he ever... Jesus' ministry, uh, Jesus changed the world, obviously, right? He is our salvation. He's our Lord. But if you do, you know, if you were... Um, in ministry, a lot of times, one of the first things another pastor asked me is, how many you got coming to church? A lot of times I say, um, I'm not sure. We got a good crowd. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly. But, but they want to compare numbers. If you're comparing Jesus's number, when he died, he had, he had 12 people and one cheated on him and killed himself. He died with 11 people that scattered the minute he was de- dead. That's Jesus's ministry. Then when he rose from the dead, there was 120 in an upper room. Right? But then Peter, with the power of the Holy Spirit, preaches a sermon on Pentecost. 3,000 people come to Christ that one day. And they devote themselves to the teaching of the word and to prayer, praying the Holy Spirit. And it says in, in, in Acts that daily the Lord was adding to them. Daily, someone was coming to know Christ. That same power is available to us. Jesus' ministry was powerful. I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying when the Spirit comes and fills believers, our ministries can be beyond what we can imagine. And so the question 
question is, does that characterize the ministry God has called you to? We can have the same power that Jesus had on earth through the Holy Spirit. This body of believers right here has the same spirit that we just read about that fell on Jesus like a dove. That's the same Holy Spirit we have. And we're going to see the things that 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 makes a difference in ministry. So we're introduced to Jesus at his ministry through his baptism, and we see his ministry has a purpose. He preached the truth and related to the lost. And the question is, does that characterize the ministry that you're called into? You need to preach the truth relating to the, to the lost. Does that characterize your heart? Jesus' ministry was righteous. His life and ministry were characterized by obedience to God. Are you submitting your life to Christ? And following him, allowing him to develop righteousness in you, spending time less being enveloped in the world and more time with God. Jesus' ministry had power. It has power. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, approved by God. Do you need to remember, have you forgotten that the same spirit that indwells you is the same spirit that it just landed upon Jesus in this passage? That he is just as alive and as powerful then as he is now, or now as he was then? Are you utilizing that power in your ministry? I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through these. Maybe today God just wants to encourage your heart. He wants you to know that if you're engaged in ministry and surrendered to him, the Spirit's empowering your ministry and God approves of it. Maybe today you've forgotten that we need to relate to those who need him. That there's those out there who don't know Christ and what they need is someone to sympathize with where they're at, to remember that one time we were without Christ. Maybe God's calling you into righteousness, that you've been dabbling with the world and you've been living trying to live on both sides of the fence and God's saying you need to live in obedience to me and let the world behind. I don't know how God's stirring your heart. I pray you submit to him today. God, I come to you and ask you that you would work in our hearts. I thank you that Jesus showed up and showed us that his ministry is going to be empowered by the Spirit as a purpose. He did so for a reason and that he was living in righteousness to you and right standing with you, Lord. And I pray that as we think about our ministries, that we would reflect Christ in what we do. Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct us now, that you would, you would move in our hearts, that you would encourage where encouragement's needed, you would convict where conviction's needed, you would give clear direction where people are asking for it. I pray that you would just stir our hearts now, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.